Welcome to Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Bringing the finest trumpeters from around this planet Earth, sharing their stories that will thrill and inspire your trumpet journey, here's your host, James Newcomb. Graham is a member of the U.S. Army Blues, the premier jazz ensemble for the U.S. Army, stationed there at Washington, D.C. And the U.S. Army Blues recently released Jazz from the Stacks. So, Graham, tell us about that album and tell us about what's going on in your world right now. Well, the album is um, we have sort of an informal partnership with the Library of Congress, and they have tons and tons of music in their collection. Um, but the I don't, the, the good thing is it's saved there and it's cared for and it's kept. The bad thing is they don't have an ensemble in residence to bring all this music to life. So it's basically just dots on a page until you put it in front of musicians. So um, there's a bunch of classic arrangers whose stuff lives there. There's some Oliver Nelson there. Jerry Mulligan's stuff is all there. There's some Mingus. Um, all the Ella Fitzgerald stuff uh, that was done with Big Band is there. Um, who else do we do? Some Billy Byers, uh, I think, is there. Tommy Newsom from The Tonight Show, all his stuff is stored there. So we have this sort of informal partnership with them that we've played some concerts over there. And um, then we kind of decided, man, we should really document some of this great stuff. And a lot of it is stuff that is either not really well known or, um, um, you know, didn't get a whole lot of circulation if it was recorded, you know, in the 50s or whatever. But uh, so we decided we'd record as much of that stuff as we could. So there's some small group stuff on there from uh, some, from Charles Mingus and Jerry Mulligan. There's some big band stuff from all those guys I talked about. Uh, and it's just a really cool way to sort of uh, preserve and document all this mm. great writing that, like I said, we don't put it in front of musicians and play it. It's just dots yeah. on the page. So There's so many gems that are just hidden because they don't like meet the criteria of what makes a popular song. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. And and some of those that, even though they were not real well known, you, you just start digging in and you're like, man, this writing is so brilliant. It's wow. just so fun to be a part of. Is there one on that CD that kind of sticks out to you? Like that fits that, what you just said? Uh, no, because you know, when we're digging in and uh, Anita O'Day was one of the other ones I was okay. going for. So, you know, when we're digging in and playing that music, uh, you know, it's just it's just one after another. It's like, you know, just so much brilliant music. And it's it's almost a shame that, you know, over the history of jazz, so much of this great stuff has been created and kind of falls by the wayside if it doesn't sell a bazillion dollars or right. Frank Sinatra didn't record it or something like that. But uh, no, I didn't have a favorite. It was just one right mm. after another. <laughs> the next one. You flip it over like, wow, this is great, too. So, man just a, a really fun project jazz from the stacks we'll have that on the show notes for this all right well this is um podcast about peak musical performance and in order to reach the peak sometimes you have to go through a few valleys so <laughs> tell us about a time when that uh, uh, tell us about a time that you would consider to be one of your worst moments as a performer just a time when you expected to do well or play a certain way and it just didn't go the way you thought. <laughs> well, pretty much every time I put the trumpet on my face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 
uh, it's hard to single out one because you know when you're when you're doing this for a living and playing this instrument for a living, you know to paraphrase Dizzy Gillespie, you know some days you play beautifully and you win, hmm. the other days you know you don't play beautifully and the horn wins and then eventually you die and the horn wins. So <laughs> um, you know it's just for me the the fun is in the challenge and trying to get better, but um, I'm pretty hard on myself, so I I tend to leave almost every performance with something that I feel like I need to fix or something that I didn't like. And, and what I've tried to do over the years in my own practice and my own, uh, you know, growth is to identify things that don't come easy to me. So, and that's, it's hard to do because you have to be really open and really vulnerable and willing to admit that, Oh man, I'm, I, I suck at this. <laughs> hmm. Um, so I've always tried to identify aspects of my playing that don't come easily. And then sometimes I'll try and write a piece of music that addresses that. Like if I don't feel comfortable in a certain key, then I'll write a tune in that key or if, you know, playing in five or seven or some other odd meter bothers me, then I'll try and write a tune in that key and it forces me to, to do that. So, you know, to answer your question, I don't have a specific singular <laughs> rock bottom moment but I have a whole bunch that I've tried to use as a springboard or into a, you know, into improvement, into a, make it a learning situation instead of then a, you know, then to get down on myself and get discouraged. Well, tell us about, because that's the whole point of this podcast is to learn from when things don't go well. Tell us, a, mm -hmm. tell us a story about when things just didn't go right, what, what you could have done differently and what you could teach others about it today. Yeah. Well, you, you know, as far as teaching others, you got to be honest with yourself, first of all, because one of the things I've noticed, if I go play a concert right now and then I listen to the recording maybe tonight, you know, I'll, oh, I remember that. Oh, that was awful. Or, oh, that worked out OK. What I what I've found in my own playing, and I, I know a bunch of guys that agree with me, it's never quite as bad as I thought it was. And it's never quite as good as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. The truth is usually somewhere in the middle. So. Um, so like I said, what I try to do is identify stuff that doesn't come easy for me. So if, uh, you know, I've had moments on stage that got recorded, you know, and they're on a you know, video somewhere because, uh, you know, when we play at a place like the Kennedy Center, that's all webcast and that all is archived and lives forever, uh, in our building, uh, on Fort Myer, right outside of Washington, DC, next door to the Pentagon, we, we broadcast all those. And so those videos live forever. So what I try and do is kind of let it cook for a while. I'll go back maybe a couple of weeks from now and go back and review a concert. That way I don't remember as much specifically uh, about what happened maybe during a solo I played or something like that. And then I feel like I can kind of, kind of approach it a little more objectively. And, wow, okay, that, you know, you got to also be willing to pat yourself on the back. Well, that worked out. Okay, that was cool. Or, you know, and, and again, that honesty of, man, okay, I hope I never do that again. But you got to grow kind of a thick skin because if it's on video, it lives forever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you, it, it's what you might see is sort of embarrassing or, man, I hope my friends don't see that. Or uh, it, it's, you know, we all have those moments. So I think we all have to sort of keep in mind that we're, we're all struggling to learn this thing. We're all struggling to get better. Um, we're all trying to move forward. And all of us are at different points in our development. So it's it's, you know... Just because you hear somebody play something that's completely amazing to you and you're thinking, man, I could never do that. Well, you know, I could never do that yet, I think is what I try and get students to think about all the time, you know. And, and we're all moving forward. You have to just sort of be willing to not get down on yourself when things don't go the way you hope they would. Well, how do you stay consistent? Because obviously you're expected to play at a very high level and um, 
probably what you would consider to be maybe not quite at your best. Probably most people would be really pleased if they were to play that way. And I'm not, try- and I'm not trying to put you on a pedal. So this is just the way it is. You guys have very high standards at the yeah. at the Army Blues. So what do you do to stay uh, in shape physically, psychologically, so that you can at least be as consistent as possible when you're playing? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty neurotic. I tell people all the time about my warm up. So no matter what I have to do on any given day, you know, if I have a concert tonight or if I have a rehearsal in the middle of the day. Or uh, if I have to go to a recording session at nine in the morning or something like that, I'm super neurotic about getting my warm up in because the for me the physical part of playing the trumpet is non-negotiable. Mm. Um, you, you just have to be in good physical shape to play the music that is expected of us in this day and age. I mean, we've evolved to a point not just in jazz and in just about anything um, that horn players would be expected to play, there's some really, really complicated, sophisticated, challenging, demanding music out there, and you're not going to get anywhere close to doing that stuff if you don't take care of all the fundamental stuff. So I call it, I'm a big sports fan, I use a lot of athletic analogies, I use it, I call it basically the weightlifting part of playing the trumpet. Every great athlete who's ever lived, of course they were great at their game, and when you see them on TV, out on the field, or on the court, or whatever, but there's a lot of time that they spend in the weight room or that they spend stretching or they spend, you know, just under the rack on the bench press or something like that. So that part of the trumpet playing, all the lip slurs, all the long tones and flexibility exercises and those sort of fundamental things that we don't necessarily go out and do on stage um, are just I'm neurotic about getting that part of my routine in every single day. And then as far as staying at peak, Performance, you know, one of the things that I really like to do is is you you can control how much you prepare. Um, so I try to make sure that I've studied the music that I have to play, whether it's you know if I had to learn some sort of complicated thing fingering wise, or you know uh, if it's I have to play something in seven, or I have to play something on a set of chord changes that I'm not familiar with. Uh, I try and really over prepare and be prepared, and and I like to sort of visualize. Before we go out on stage, I like to visualize how I see things going. So uh, if I can kind of picture in my head what it's going to sound like when I'm playing on such and such a tune, I find that that gets me a little closer to being comfortable when I'm out there. You know, the red light's on, and now you're on in front of people, and everybody's looking at you. <laughs> it's completely different than it is when you're in the practice room, and you can, you know, rewind and do over and go back. And, oh, man, I didn't nail the bridge that time. I'm going to do it a couple more times. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to sort of visualize how I would see things going ideally before I get out there. And yeah. I find that those two things, the physical preparation and the mental preparation, makes me a lot more prepared when I do get out in front of people. Yeah, you talk about those athletes, and they have their maybe two hours a week that, that the camera is on them. But for every two hour, for every hour that the camera is on them, there's about 40 that they're working their tail off, lifting yeah. weights and eating right and getting enough sleep and there's just so much that goes into those guys being able to perform the way they do and it it sounds to me like this physical preparation that you take with your warm-up which you take very very seriously it's also psychological because you've done the work and now you can rest easy at knowing at least you've done as much as you can to prepare and let the results lay where they may 
Absolutely. And that, you know, people ask about things like stage fright all the time. Do you ever get nervous? Uh, you know, when your job is standing in front of people playing the trumpet, I wouldn't say that I get nervous uh, anymore. You know, I did when I was younger, but now you, you just sort of have, you know, if you're prepared or not. So when you're really, really comfortable and really, really confident, it's because you, I mean, you can't fool yourself, right? You can maybe walk out and fool some people and like, wow, that was great. And inside you're thinking, wow, that was not great. <laughs> but you can't fool yourself. You know if you've prepared as much as you can possibly prepare for that. So the only way to sort of convince yourself that, hey, this is going to go well is because you've prepared and you've put that homework in. And like you said with the athletes, you know, game day on Saturday for a football player is, you know, two, three hours on television, but there's you know, a ton of hours that lead up to that. And I, I think there's a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels between musicians and athletes and that constant preparation. You know, we all sort of study the masters who came before us and we're all trying to get better and bigger, stronger, faster. You know, uh, there's there's just a lot of parallels in the mindset between professional athletes and professional musicians. Mm -hmm. You said that you used to get nervous. Do you remember when you stopped feeling nervous performing? Uh, not specifically not. because it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a light switch flipping right. off. It wasn't just, you know, last time I played, I was terrified and today I feel terrific. Right, <laughs> it right. was more of a tapering off sort of mm -hmm. thing. The more I sort of got comfortable being in front of people, the more I realized, Hey, it's up to me to be prepared or to mail this in, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. being prepared and, and, and all that stuff is a, is a choice. You, you know, yeah. you can choose yeah. to prepare or you can choose to not prepare. So it, that sort of tapered off as I got, you know, as I started to feel, okay, I'm maybe I can make a run at doing this for a living. <laughs> so this is like maybe in college that they started to taper off. Yeah, probably, okay. and it, a lot of it had to do uh, maybe as an undergrad in my okay. early twenties or something like that when I started to to learn how to practice. You know, when I started to learn how to prepare and not just you know when I, becoming more methodical about my preparation and practice would probably be about the same time any sort of nervousness started to taper off. What do you mean when you say learning how to practice? Well, when I was younger, I've always loved playing the trumpet. So mm -hmm. I was in high school and even well into my undergraduate degree uh, in college, I played the trumpet all the time. So my chops were in pretty good shape. I mean, endurance wasn't really a problem. Range was okay. Uh, so, you know, that physical stuff was, was pretty squared away. But I wasn't actually addressing weaknesses. Hmm. Uh, and one example is, you know, uh, I I knew pretty early on I wanted to be a jazz trumpet player. So is it a chicken or the egg sort of thing? So you know, things like multiple tonguing didn't come very easily for me, and I didn't practice them that often because they didn't come easy for me, and they didn't come easy for me because I didn't practice them that often. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, but I wasn't really using that sort of stuff if I'm learning a Clifford Brown or a Freddie Hubbard solo or something. You know. Um, so learning how to practice for me, getting back to that sort of, you have to be honest with yourself and be able to recognize weaknesses, uh, without getting down on yourself and getting depressed it's about, oh man, I suck. You know, I can't play outside the staff or I can't play this thing at, you know, the right speed or this intervallic thing is really crushing me. And, you know, without judging, uh, yourself, you just have to sort of, I don't know, clinically, if that's the right word assess and and evaluate and go well you know this thing over here is easy for me i'm pretty comfortable with the way that's going but this thing over here mm. it's not easy for me so that's where you need to spend your time and right. i tell people all the time you know if you go to a university or something you walk down the hall where the practice rooms are and you hear somebody in there just absolutely crushing whatever they're playing just sounded fantastic 
that person's probably not getting any work done unless they're in there maybe prepping for a concert tonight or a recital in a week or two or something like that. But when you walk past the practice room and hear a guy in there absolutely just blowing chow, <laughs> that guy's getting work done because right. he's focusing on things that are not easy. And, you know, hmm. nobody wants to be in there stinking it up when your buddies are walking by outside in the practice room. But that's, in my opinion, that's how we learn to practice. You have to be willing to address things that don't come as easily for you in the rest of your point. Well, those times when you're practicing and you're just stinking up the joint, knowing that other people are listening to you struggling, that's kind of a performance in and of itself. Oh, sure. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, you know, you got to deal with that self-conscious, you know, thick skinned enough, like, okay, I got to be not afraid to sit in here and stink it up, even though I know they're out there laughing at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they should be practicing. They shouldn't be laughing. (laughs) They shouldn't be in the hall. They should be practicing too. That's exactly right. Graham is getting ready to sit on the hot seat right after we take a moment to thank our sponsor. Graham, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? I'll give it a shot. It's five minutes before you go on stage for a performance. What are you doing? Got my eyes closed, and I'm uh, thinking about what I have to do. I'm trying to focus strictly on what's about to happen in the next however long I'm going to be on stage. What's the best performance-related advice you've ever received? Uh... Hmm. To stay prepared or to be prepared, uh, preparation is a choice. If you were to give some advice to someone who is struggling with stage fright, what would you tell them? I would same thing. Preparation is a choice. A lot of our anxiety stems from feeling like you're not really prepared or you're not comfortable or you're focusing on, I know I'm going to struggle with this such and such measure or this passage or the bridge always kicks my butt. Uh, you can choose to be prepared for that stuff. And the more prepared you are, the more convinced your inner self, for lack of a better description, will be that, hey, I can do this. I can make this happen because I put the work in. You've already sort of answered this, but what is a non-musical activity that helps you succeed as a musician? I try to stay in uh, shape physically. So I, I love mountain biking. I love being outdoors. Uh, I love being out in the woods. I got mountain bike trails around my house here in Northern Virginia, right outside the DC area, race mountain bikes from time to time. And I'm also a pretty avid woodworker. I like the creativity, you know, to build a piece of furniture and it's meticulous and it's creative, just like music, but it's not playing the trumpet. So, uh, trying to stay in good physical shape and to have a creative outlet that takes the horn off my face for a little while, I, I think makes me healthier all around, which translates into, to being a better trumpet player, I think. All right. Well, this is the final question of the interview, but it doesn't mean it's less important. (laughs) You are on stage, and the crowd is on its feet at the end of the performance. They're going crazy, giving you a standing ovation, you or the Army Blues. And they don't want any more. They don't want any less. Everything is perfect. This is a scenario we're looking for, so paint us a picture. What have you just done? Where did you play? Who'd you play with? What did you play? Oh, well, one of my favorite places is the Kennedy Center here in D.C. just because it's such a prestigious concert hall. As far as what I've done, uh, it's what I strive to do every single time I walk out in front of people. I want to exceed their expectations. I think when we're really excited by something, it's because it was better than we thought it was going to be or it was more fun than we thought it was going to be or so I'm constantly trying to exceed their expectations. And uh, as far as who we're playing with or what I was playing with or what we were playing, it's just I love playing the trumpet so much it wouldn't even matter to me. I went out there and met my own expectations and was at a really fun, great, 
prestigious place like the Kennedy Center, then that's, that's all I think I can ask for. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in James Newcomb on Trumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon. You're still here. You must like this show or something. Well, I've got a special offer for you for hanging in there to the very end and proving yourself to be a true listener. I have a brand new, and it is exclusive for devoted fans of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It is called The Secret Chamber of Don Clarino. It's brand new. I don't even know what's going to come of it. I'm honestly not even really involved in it, but I'm contractually obligated to tell you about it as an employee of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. So if you want to learn more about it, here's the URL, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC. It's a short registration process and you'll be in there. Okay. I don't know if I'm even allowed to be in there, honestly, but check it out. See if you like it. Later.